Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for being here today. Uh, today's a special day for the Joneses. Where are there's Chris? Where's Joanna Jones? It's there. She's downstairs. Oh, there she is. It's their anniversary today, right? Today. And this Wednesday, Tom and Karen, would you stand up and wave 54 years on Wednesday? Praise the Lord for you guys. Oh, man, this is good. This is a good day. This is one of my favorite times in a sermon series at the beginning of a sermon series when we introduce it. And so today we are going to introduce the series on the book of Galatians. So everybody turn to Galatians if you're not sure where it's at in your paper Bibles. Does anybody bring a paper Bible to church anymore? Oh, wow, look at them all. I know you kids and the online stuff, but the paper Bibles, you don't get to, when you go to open your paper Bible, you're not distracted by text messages and then checking the news and then checking Facebook and then 20 minutes pass and you're like, what was I supposed to be doing? I don't, I don't even remember. Oh yeah, that's right. I was looking at the word of God. So on your Bibles, if you're trying to find it, uh, Go Eat Popcorn is an acronym for Galatians, uh, Ephesians, uh, Go Eat Philippians, Colossians. Thank you for helping me with my own little helper thing. Galatians chapter one, would you stand with me if you're able to pop right up out of respect for the word of God? Galatians chapter one, verse one, Paul introduces himself. This is how Paul introduces uh, himself in letters. This is the ancient way of, of not saying to who it's to first, but you would say who it's from first. So Paul says, Paul an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man. He wants you to know that this message is coming not from him, not from any person, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. So I'll give you a quiz question later and I'll say, who's the book of Galatians written to? And it's, there's the answer. It says, to the churches in Galatia. And then verse three, grace and peace to you. That's another Paul phrase. He uses that in every single one of his letters to the churches in cities. He says this phrase, grace and peace to you. And then here he adds to, to God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse four, let this sink in. This is who Jesus is, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And you thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we open your scriptures. We open your word today. And we ask you, Lord, to open our hearts, open our minds as we receive this message from you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is a very short book, but it's a very powerful book. It's uh, a book that can kind of be like a tree. Here's a picture of a tree. It's called a Benjamin Ficus tree. There's other trees uh, like this that do this kind of thing, um, but they uh, kind of send out branches and then branches kind of go down. And once the branches hit the ground, the branches turn into roots. And so you have a very short tree, but it is dense and full and interwoven with itself. And this is like the book of Galatians, a short book, only six chapters, but so 
so much is here interwoven. We're gonna spend the next nine weeks of a sermon series going through the book of Galatians. It's a short letter. It's a revolutionary letter. This letter, along with the book of Romans, is probably one of those books of the Bible that end up changing the course of Christianity for all time. And what I mean is this, that you know, all books that we need the whole canon of scripture to have the Bible. One book, we might say, oh, we like this one better, we like that one better, but we need the whole course of scripture, the whole sweep of all the books of the Bible in the canon to make a whole Christian. But there are some books that seemingly change the course of history, maybe more than others. And this book of Galatians would be that. Because had it not been for this argument that Paul is making here, it might well be that the world would have seen Christianity as just another sub-sect of Judaism. And here Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the case. Christianity is its whole new thing. It's not just a subsect of Judaism. It is this awesome thing where God himself, Jesus, has come to us and made himself known and we worship him and we no longer have to follow the old law that was given through Moses. That's the main thrust of the argument being presented here. And there's a lot of great passages in the book of Galatians. For instance, Galatians 3 talks about... um, In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female. This was revolutionary at the time when Paul was writing. He's saying all men and women are equal. In that time, in this ancient world, that was revolutionary. There's another passage that talks about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, sorry, in Galatians chapter 5. Those are listed. There's another famous passage, Galatians 2, that says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's I who no longer live, but Christ who lives in me. A great passage. This book of the Bible was considered Martin Luther's favorite book. Do you know Martin Luther uh, was part of the Protestant Reformation back in the 1500s when at the time of the the Dark Ages, you could say, the church, there was a lot of... um, just bad stuff going on, scandals and oppression and legalistic things at that time. Martin Luther busts out of that and revolutionizes and reforms the church. And he says that his favorite book is Galatians. He, in fact, he even says, I betrothed myself to it, which reminds me of like a middle school joke when someone would say, oh, man, I just love pizza. And you would say, let marry it. <laughs> and like Luther's like, literally, yeah, yeah. I mean, not literally, I'm using that wrong. Um, but yeah, I have betrothed myself to the book of Galatians. That's how much he liked this book. And I guess his wife in real life, he had a, had a real life, real life wife, and she was very feisty. And the book of Galatians, Galatians is very feisty, and so, gosh, is it getting hot in here, or is this just Galatians? <laughs> just Galatians. All right. Point one. I have a three-point sermon for you, um, and as I usually do, one, two, and three, and the first one, I will say this, we'll put it up here on the screen, and I say this sometimes, and if you're new to New Life Manitou, if you have not heard me say uh, this, what I'm about to say, it might come across as a little jarring, a little shocking, but let me explain. So I'll say it, don't walk out, let me explain, okay? Especially this first part here. The Bible is not written to us, but for us. And what I mean by that, 
Well, let me say what I don't mean. So you could, you could look at the first part of the phrase and say, whoa, 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 Joe, are you saying that this is just some ancient book that doesn't apply to us? No, 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 I'm not saying that. Joe, are you saying that it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's an old, you know, something, it's just a book that doesn't apply? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is it's not literally written to us, but of course it is for us. Here's that pop quiz question I told you I was gonna give you. To whom is the book of Galatians written? That's not to manage to the churches in Galatia. And so let's get into, this is part of my favorite thing when we begin a new sermon series to talk about author, audience, genre. This is nerdy stuff like exegesis and hermeneutics. And I love nerdy stuff. Some of you roll your eyes. You don't like nerdy stuff. You're just like, well, let's get to the point. How does this apply? Get to the heart issues. And I love that stuff too. But I really like the nerdy stuff like Bible study. Anybody else with me with the Bible study? Okay, maybe, maybe 10, 20 hands, good. I'll take that. <laughs> Others of you, just bear with me through this nerdy part of the sermon. But this does bring us to a nerd alert, and if you know what to do, do it now. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so this is a nerd alert. Let's get into exegesis and hermeneutics. Let's talk about, first of all, the audience, to whom Paul is writing he is writing to a region of Galatia. So let's look. We have a map here that um, has modern-day Turkey. That's that part. And then Greece is right to the left of that. It has some ancient names for these places. Uh, Macedonia is getting cut off and uh, Syria down there. And then this region right here, can you see in the green, uh, it says Galatia up there. So this whole green region in the middle of Turkey, that is the region of Galatia. And Paul, as you can see, what those lines are that you're looking at are, are not subway lines. Those are the missionary journeys of Paul. His first First, second, third, and then the green one going over to Rome would be his journey to Rome, or some people call it his fourth missionary journey. And isn't it interesting that all the lines, it seems like there's a whole bunch of lines going through the south of Galatia. Do you see that? So Galatia is one of these areas where Paul hits both coming and going on many, uh, if not all, three of his missionary journeys, not including the, the trip to Rome. But he is in Galatia a lot. The cities of Derby, Iconium, Lyon. Lystra, that's where Timothy is from, the city of Lystra. These are in the book of Acts. And so some of you know right away what I'm talking about. You're following with me, you're fellow nerds. So if you know the New Testament, you know that there's the gospels of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, and then Jesus... Um, dies, is resurrected, then the book of Acts begins, Jesus is ascended, and then the stories of Paul and his missionary journeys are throughout the book of Acts, and you can read about, for, for yourself, the stories of Paul going to the cities in Galatia. And when Paul goes there, some things happen. I'll be brief with this, but there's that story of, uh, it's Paul and Barnabas in one of the stories, and they see a guy, it says that they see him, and he has the faith to be healed. So Paul says, stand up. And this guy is miraculously healed on the spot and everyone sees it and they don't know what to do. And so they think, well, that, you know, our worldview is of Greek gods. And so this must be Zeus and Hermes. They think Paul and Barnabas are Zeus and Hermes. Do you know this story? And they, they like start worshiping. It's a weird little scene that happens. And then Paul and Barnabas hear that they think they 
they think that they are these Greek gods and what do they do? They, they rip off their clothes, Hulk Hogan style, and they, they say, no, 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 no. We are not these Greek gods. We have come to testify to the true God. And they preach the gospel and churches are planted. And so the churches grow in these cities. They take off. It's wonderful. We hear reports, some good reports. The churches grow and then something happens. As Paul continues in his journeys, we think that maybe some point in his third journey, he hears back that some people, he says, have infiltrated the church and have preached another gospel other than the one you have received which is bad news. Imagine if you were an evangelist, we should all be evangelists sharing our faith and people receive it and you kind of be like, become like a father figure for a church and it's growing and doing great and you're hearing great reports and then all of a sudden you hear that some rascals have come in and are preaching a different gospel. These people are called Judaizers or in the book of Galatians, they're called the people of the circumcision group and they're saying basically that what Paul had to say is pretty good, but what you need to add to that are the old laws uh, that we find in the Old Testament. You can't be fully saved if you're not circumcised, if you're not following the the dietary regulations, if you're eating with Gentiles, Gentiles would be anyone who's not Jewish, then you can't be fully, truly saved. And Paul hears this report that some of these churches are turning that direction and welcoming this false gospel and what does he do? Well, by goodness gracious, he's going to write them a letter. And we have this letter right here. The book of Galatians is that letter. So the second point of this sermon is to become free in Christ. This is the main thrust of this whole book of Galatians. Paul says, you need to be free in Christ. And he rebukes them for turning to this false gospel. So all all of the letters that we have from Paul to these different cities, at the time when Paul was writing, we have quite a few of them. They all start off with, you know, Paul an apostle, and then he talks about grace and peace. And then every single one of the other letters, without exception, and I went through this week and made sure that what I'm saying is true, every single one of these letters gets into thanking the people or blessing them or encouraging them some way. So for instance, I'm gonna go through a list and the the point here is to set up a pattern of all these books are the same until we get to Galatians. It's a book that does not look like the other books in Paul's list of letters. So Ephesians says, grace and peace to you. Uh, In chapter one, it says, oh, for this reason, ever since I heard about your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all of my prayers. Isn't that a nice thing to say from Paul to the Ephesians? Now listen for it. It's going to change when we get to this letter to Galatians. But Philippians, same thing, starts off. Paul says, grace and peace to you. We all always thank God the Father for you when we pray because we've heard about your faith. Isn't that a nice thing for Paul to begin a letter to the Philippians with? Yes, it is. Romans, same thing, grace and peace. And then first, I thank God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, for you, for your faith is being reported all over the world. That's a nice encouraging thing 
to say, right, to the churches in Rome. And the same thing goes. You can look at Corinthians. You can look at first or second Corinthians. You can look at first or second Thessalonians. And Paul says, grace and peace to you. And then he says something nice. Like I've heard wonderful reports from you and how you're doing. And, and I always think about you and I pray for you guys. and I love you guys. and I can't wait to get back. When it comes to the book of Galatians, Everything is about to change. Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets into, I am astonished. So this is first uh, Galatians chapter one, verse six. And he just gets into, I am astonished. This, this is the part where he's usually like thanking them and he's usually praying for them and how great they are. And I've heard about your faith. Instead, he says, I am astonished. What are you so astonished by, Paul? Are you astonished of our faith? Are you astonished with how we take care of the poor? What are you so astonished with, Paul? Are you just astonished for how we're growing and the gospel's being presented? No. He's astonished, we'll put it up there, that they are so quickly deserting the faith they once had. And they're turning to a different gospel, is what it says, which is really, verse 7, if you're there, Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, which is really no gospel at all. And then he says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel you once received. And then he, and he says, but, but listen, if even we or an angel from heaven was to present a gospel other than you, the one you heard, let them be under God's curse. He says the whole thing again, as I have already said, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you received, let them be under God's curse. Can you imagine if that letter was written to you, like to New Life Manitou? Like imagine, I, I don't know that there's a one-for-one one equation here, but uh, the, the senior pastor over all New Life congregations is Brady Boyd. And imagine if he penned a letter and wrote it, and, and this is in the age before, uh, um, before email and quick messages, before postal services. And so we get a letter and we open it up and there's a seal on it and we read a letter like live here in the church from Pastor Brady Boyd. And it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, and it goes on to say, uh, God who has raised us in him over our sins. Yes, yes, yes. And then it says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the faith you once received. Ooh, like we would all just sort of shrink. The person reading it would kind of be looking around like, should I keep going? This would be rough. This is a rebuke and it's an urgent rebuke that Paul writes. One of the theories we have uh, from Galatians 6, Paul says, see what large print I'm writing with my own hand. We think that this letter was so urgent, he didn't have the time to go hire a scribe who could write really well, and, 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 but he wrote it himself and to send it off because this issue was so important that there was some people there telling the churches in Galatia that they had to add to the gospel these works and laws to be truly saved. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm gonna correct you. This is a rebuke. Have you ever been rebuked in your life? Have you ever been, but by some, and sometimes like people just wanna be mean and they rebuke you because they have own, their own issues. But maybe raise your hand if you've been rebuked by someone that they love you and they care about and they had your best interest in mind. And it ends up, it was hard, it's a hard message, but it ends up changing you for 
the better. When I was in middle school, I was rebuked. The whole team actually was rebuked by a coach. Would you like to hear the story? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a train wreck of a story. Any kind of, like the whole book of Galatians. It's kind of like a, man, this is, this is like a Jerry Springer episode. He's rebuking him and he's, it seems like he's mad. And so when I was in middle school, I played soccer and we had this great coach. He was a young guy. He was probably in his early 30s. Um, and he taught soccer and coached soccer, I should say, because he just loved it. And he loved teaching uh, boys to become men. Just a great coach, the kind of coach you would want for yourself, the kind of coach you would want for your boys or your kids. And this coach, Washington, um, came to, always came to practice 30 minutes late because he had a job at a different school and he had to come to this school and he t- taught uh, coach soccer at our school. And so for 30 minutes, there was a whole middle school soccer team of boys that had no supervision whatsoever. <laughs> Imagine you know where this story is going. And so we were supposed to, uh, with directions from the coach, get ready. We were supposed to do some uh, exercises and some stretching. And then we were supposed to do some drills. That's what we were supposed to do with this half hour, just half hour, middle school boys. And instead, day turned into week, turned into you know the, the season in which we continually got worse and worse and worse with these 30 minutes. I remember the day we were rebuked. It was a day just like any other. We go to practice, we get dressed, and instead of doing what we're supposed to do, we proceeded, like somebody had a lunch, and we proceeded to take the lunch and throw it at this wall on the side of the school. It was like apples blowing up. It was really fun. Sandwiches, baloney, chocolate milk dripping down. And then it was like, if that wasn't fun enough, then we had like the younger, like weaker kids on the team. This is horrible. This gets into like, why would you do this? This is bad. We had them stand up against the wall, put the soccer ball down, and then we would take turns running and kicking as hard as we could the soccer ball at some unsuspecting little kid. It's funny now. It's, it, it was not at the time. It was like harassment. It's, it's all the words that you, it's like, you, we don't do this. This is what we're not supposed to be doing. And then uh, we knew the time was coming. It's like, oh my goodness, Coach Washington, he's about to be here. So we all pack up and we go over to where we're supposed to be and we we're pretending to do the drills and kick the ball. And he shows up just like he would at any other practice. And he began to ask us some questions. So what were you guys doing? Oh, we were just doing the drills, like perfect little angels. And he's like, oh, did you do this drill and that drill? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did all the drills. And it's beginning to become pretty clear that he knows something, right? Uh, coach knows something something. And he says, you, you guys see that hill over there that kind of overlooks the school? And we're all like, Whoa, oh no. And he says, I've been up on that hill watching you guys for the last half hour. And we were like, oh <laughs> no. And he proceeded in, in, a, in a very strong way, but in a loving way. He was a good coach. He proceeded as like, we're going to start running laps and we're going to hear the story. And so lap by lap, we said what we had done. We admitted to it. We went and cleaned up the area. We apologized. And then by one by one, he asked us, I remember him asking me, he said, Joe, you're a leader on this team. What, what did you do when everyone was you know, kicking soccer balls against the, the younger kids? And I, I didn't even have a response. And I just thought, man, I, I'm a, first of all, he called me a leader. Like he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. And it's just, it's one of those moments that was horribly hard and painful, but it ended up being the right correction and rebuke that ended up changing the course of myself and maybe some of those other kids that were on that team. 
Imagine you go in to see the doctor and the doctor gives you some bad news. Maybe some of you have been here, been there, where the doctor says you have cancer. And what does a good doctor do? Well, a good doctor says, we're gonna go in and we're gonna surgically cut you open and we're gonna remove this cancer. And then when once we've done that, we're gonna put you under three to six months of chemotherapy and it's gonna about kill you. It, you're gonna be so weak. You're gonna lose all your hair. You're gonna be sick every single day. You're gonna be throwing up. It is gonna be horrible, horrible, horrible for this short term. Some of you have been in that boat and know exactly what I'm talking about now. That's the kind of painful correction Paul is giving here to these Galatians. He's like, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna cut out this horrible theology that has crept in. And really, it gets a little worse. Like, it, it's already kind of bad when, you know, it's, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the gospel. But then in chapter three, it's like the, the real punch is like, you foolish Galatians. Do you know this passage exists? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly seen as crucified. And he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive when you believed or when you fulfilled the works of the law? Like, what are you doing right now? Don't we all know that you believe, you are filled with the spirit when you believe and you have this faith. You don't have to add these works of the law, these Old Testament rules to your salvation. It's a rough rebuke. It's a correction to these churches. J.B. Phillips, it's a translation of the, I think just the New Testament, kind of a paraphrase. He words it into vernacular that Americans uh, would, would say, and he translates, you foolish Galatians, as this. He says, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. <laughs> Very strong. I mean, we could laugh because it's not to us, right? We're kind of, we have this position where like we're looking on and seeing this train wreck of a letter and it's rebuke and it's harsh and it's strong. And then, well, what do we do? Like we are in the position of like, how does this apply to us? So here's the third point of this sermon. It's that the true author of this message of freedom is Christ. And Paul wants us to know right out of the gates that this message he's sharing with us, it's not from him. This gospel is not from him because the very first thing he says is Paul, an apostle, sent not by man, nor by, uh, not by men or a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right out of the gates, that, that's, Paul wants us to know that this letter has been written by him, he's pinned it, but these are not his ideas. This gospel is not his gospel. This is the Lord's gospel, and he wants us to know all about it. And he wants us to have true freedom in Christ and not add to it the works of the law. And what he's specifically writing to, so here we are in this position of looking at this letter from Paul to the Galatians. The, the specific thing that he's addressing was that people were adding the Jewish customs to salvation. Because the early church was mostly comprised of Jewish people. And when Jewish people became Christians, they were wondering, well, what do I need to do in order to truly be saved? Do I still need to, to do the dietary restrictions? Do I still need uh, to tell people to get circumcised? Do I still need to uh, not eat with Gentiles? Do I still need to, uh, you, you know, the whole list goes on. There's a long list of rules in the Bible and that the Jewish people have added to. 
For instance, like the rules about Sabbath. You know, it says honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, do no work. There's a little bit more having to do with it in the Bible itself. But how do we apply that? Well, there's a long list of just humans being human. This next part might sound like me picking on Jewish people, but that's not the case. This is something in all of us to try to write it out and figure out and make rules for other people. And so like this rule, like, like honor the Sabbath. It's like, well, what does that mean? Do no work. Well, does it mean you could do this and not that? Uh, what about like modern day things? Like, uh, can you work uh, equipment? They'd say no. So most Jews would say on the Sabbath day, you can't work equipment. Well, what does that mean? Well, for some Jews, it means you can't, for instance, uh, push a button on an elevator because that would be operating machinery. You can't do that work. So when I went to Israel a couple years ago, I saw on the Sabbath day, uh, they're called Sabbath elevators. Have you heard of this? Some of you know what it is. It's an elevator that like on a big building where you know the, the mode of transportation in that building is the elevator and you wanna get from one floor to the next but you can't push the button. It's an elevator that continuously goes to every floor, opening up the doors, bing, and it goes down a floor, opens doors, bing, it goes all the way down and then turns around, it goes all the way back up and a Jewish person not having to push the button or do work on the Sabbath could just get in and use the elevator. <laughs> it's a little silly and it sounds like I'm picking on Jewish people and making fun, but really isn't that in all of us? Like here's a rule, here's the law, honor the Sabbath and then, well, what does that mean? We wanna make rules and we wanna make rules specifically for other people too. Like we want them obeying these rules and we, we wanna add to the thing and if this is what is going on in the, in the Galatians church. People are adding to it the works of the law and Paul is saying, do not do that. Paul writes about freedom and this message is from Christ. It's the words of freedom that Paul um, has for us that no other account has. I, I say it this way. Paul uses this word, Greek words for freedom 28 times. In the rest of the New Testament, it's only used eight times. Paul wants us to be free in Christ. In fact, Galatians 5.1, a famous verse, I already said it. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let me close with this, that there's just, the way I see it, two types of religion in all of the world. Um, and I'm no expert in other religions, but I have studied Islam and Hinduism and some Buddhism, Mormonism, and et cetera. Um, that there's two types of religions, a religion of human achievements or a religion of God's accomplishment. And for what I know, like every other religion, I haven't studied them all, falls into the category of humans achieving Humans trying to do something to win God or win God's approval, win the God's approval. And Christianity is the only religion that I know of, and I haven't studied all religions, but it's the only one I know of where we fully rest on God's accomplishments, not our own work. So the implications for this in our own lives is that, well, we rest in Jesus as the true author of our salvation. We don't need to add other things to be truly saved. Grace comes in us, and it's like an explosion of God's work coming out of us. It's like the metaphor of communion, and we're gonna take communion in just a couple minutes here, that when we receive the cup and the bread, it goes into us, and then out of us springs righteousness and holiness, and we walk with the Lord 
it because he is inside of us. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you pray with me? Let me look at this, read for you uh, Galatians 2. It says this, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. And Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the good news. Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you that, that our lives, it's like we're no longer living. It's like you living inside of us and we praise you and glorify you. Lord, we don't need to add to our salvation works. We don't need to add um, these Old Testament procedures. We don't need our faith to look like someone else's. Lord, you yourself are inside of us. You have made us holy. Lord, we can sing about your goodness. We could sing about your faithfulness. Lord, the, the song says, great is your faithfulness. Everything we've needed, your hand has provided. And Lord, you have provided for us salvation. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. And now, Lord, we begin to turn our hearts to your table where we come before you as sinners. We come before you as as beggars even, sitting at your holy, righteous, awesome table and you have welcomed us in. We are like honored guests before you because you loved us so much, because you died for us. You've rescued us from our sin and the, this world and the present evil age, as you said in, through your scriptures in the book of Galatians. So Lord, we turn to you now. We welcome you with this mystery of communion, the mystery of the faith that is inside of us. We worship you, Lord, and we praise you.